Accusations are powerful. Have you ever been accused of something that you did not do? Then you've probably been aware of the power of accusations. Even if they're not true, they still have an effect. They can still ruin reputations. They can still harm relationships. Accusations have brought down world leaders. Accusations have destroyed trust in marriages. There once was a man named Job who came to know the infuriating power of accusations. Perhaps you've heard of Job. His sufferings are legendary. His sufferings went something like this. On one day, he lost all his oxen, donkeys, sheep, and camels. Even most of the servants who were watching over those animals for him, all of them were destroyed in one moment. Job was devastated. His entire life savings, along with his means for income, even his retirement account, all his wealth was wiped out. But that was just the start. Because on that same day, Job's seven sons and three daughters were gathered together for a meal when the house in which they had joined to eat together collapsed on top of them, killing all of them. So in addition to his wealth being gone, Job had lost everyone and everything, or nearly so, that he held dear. It's hard to imagine putting ourselves in Job's place. But if you could, what do you suppose you would say? What do you suppose you would do? Job tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head in mourning. And he fell down to his knees in worship. And he said these surprising words of faith, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. There's no doubt Job was devastated. How could he be anything other than that? And yet scripture tells us in all this, Job did not sin or blame God. But Job's ordeal still wasn't over. After this, Job broke out in boils all over his body, literally from the, the bottom of his feet to the very top of his head. These sores were open and painful. Maybe you feel like you can relate to this. Maybe you've experienced some sort of chronic pain that never seems to go away and you know how much that can mess with your mind. Job probably wasn't sleeping very well. It would have hurt even to, to sit down. 
The only relief, if you could even call it that, that Job could get for even a moment was to take a broken piece of pottery and he would scrape these open wounds with it. His wife looked at him and at that pathetic picture and she gave him this advice. Curse God and die. That's not what Job did. Job answered, if we accept the good that comes from God, shouldn't we also accept the bad? Again, that's probably not how I would react or maybe how you would react when challenges and difficulty and suffering just keeps on coming again and again over and over one thing after another financial problems loss of loved ones health issues difficult relationships maybe you've been there you feel like the waves just keep crashing over you and they're just going to drag you down to drown maybe we can find help from friends Some of Job's friends came and the help that they provided was to sit in silence for quite some time. Now, sometimes being there for someone, being in the proximity, just being ready to hear them out, not needing to say anything, that can be helpful. But at some point, somebody needs to say something. And that's where these friends proved less than helpful. When they opened their mouths, they tried to explain, rationalize the suffering that Job was going through. And the only conclusion that they could come to on their own was, Job, you must have done something. God must be really upset with you about something that you're hiding because why else would he allow something like this to happen? Supposedly they were trying to console Job, but what they were really doing was accusing him. He heard those accusations. And maybe those accusations hit a nerve with Job. Maybe they coincided with something he was kind of thinking anyway or kind of feeling in his heart. Because then he cried out to God, If I have sinned, what harm has it done to you? You who keep watch on mankind, why have you set me up as your target? How have I become a burden to you? Giving in to his despair, Job put God on trial, suggesting that God was the one who was unjust and even uncaring. He was like some sort of cosmic bully just trying to make Job's life miserable for no explainable reason. And so Job had finally crossed the line. We see in this account of Job one of the devil's favorite 
tricks. His name means accuser. He uses hardships, he uses sufferings as a grounds for accusing us. Why is God doing this to you? He whispers. And that question might drive us to despair. What have I done wrong? God must be very upset with me and I can't figure it out. Or it can lead us to turn back on God and say, wait, why are you doing this to me? And either way, the devil has accomplished his purposes because his purpose is to separate us from God, from our Lord. Over these next several weeks in our midweek Lenten worship services, we're going to see how people put God on trial for reasons that seem much less justifiable to us than Job's reasons. We'll hear how Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate and the angry mobs accused the Son of God in the flesh. But before we turn to these accounts, on this Ash Wednesday, we consider how we have done the same. How we have put God on trial. Now, we may not speak those accusations out loud, but they're there beneath questions like, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why did you allow my loved one to depart from me? Why does this relationship have to be so difficult? Lord, am I not good enough for you? What did I do to deserve this? Why have I been sick for so long? And it's one thing after another. I'm tired. I'm worn out. Why me? We maybe don't even fully express those thoughts or form those sentences or accusations in our minds, but they're still there in our impatience and frustration and anger, in our complaining in our criticizing. And at some point, like Job did, we cross the line and our lament turns to anger. Our questions become charges and accusations. God, this isn't fair. As if we have decided that God should take the stand and we get to question him. Okay, God, explain yourself. Well, God does speak. God tells us a lot in his word, and he answered Job. In the book of Job, Job and his friends talk about these things for some 38 chapters. And then God speaks. God confronts this suffering servant of his. And what he says, chapter 40, you have it printed in the worship folder, the first portion of our sermon text. He says, 
Will the one who makes charges against the Almighty dare to correct him? The one who accuses God should make his case. In other words, God says, I don't think I'm going to let you question me. I will question you. And in those next couple chapters, God does exactly that. And he says to Job things like, well, where were you, Job, when I created the world? Here's what I did. I I hung the stars in their place. I told the sea it could go this far but couldn't cross that line. I did all those things, and where were you? Who brings the rain and the snow and the thunder and the lightning? Job, you have gone too far. And Job was brought to his senses. And the next portion of our text from Job 42, he said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who spreads darkness over my plans? With his ignorant words, I have made statements about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will ask you questions and you will inform me. My ear heard about you. Now my eyes see you. So I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. The Lord put Job in his place, and that was a good thing because that place was a place of repentance. When we accuse God, we have it backwards. We as sinful human beings deserve to be put on trial by God. And the question that he should be asking us is is much more than just, well, what makes you think that you know better than me? God should be asking us, why shouldn't I destroy you forever? That's a call to repentance for us too. God continues to make his call for repentance to us. As we read it in his word, as we hear it from friends and family members, parents, teachers, preachers, when we read and study God's word on our own and realize how sinful we have been, how far we have fallen short. But God does this because he does not want us to lose our faith. He does not want us to lose our hope of salvation. Tonight we hear in his words to Job his call to repent and we like Job repent as it were in dust and ashes. And through Job's words, God reminds us of our forgiveness. See, throughout this ordeal, even though Job was sinning by accusing God, he never lost his faith in God. In the very middle of the book of Job, Job cried out words that have become etched in our Easter celebrations. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
and that at the end of time he will stand over the dust, then even after my skin has been destroyed, nevertheless in my own flesh I will see God. Job clung to that hope of a Redeemer. And we have seen that Redeemer. We know his name, Jesus. And this Lenten season, we're once again going to look at Jesus up close as he stands on trial before sinners. We'll see him betrayed by one of his closest friends, arrested by an angry mob. We'll watch him stand trial, accused by false witnesses, charged with blasphemy. Those accusers will will spit in his face and strike him. They'll even dress him up like a king so that they can make fun of him even more. We'll watch as he is condemned to suffer execution. And Jesus will just stand there and take it. Unlike Job, he's not going to break. He's not going to sin. He's not going to cry out in anger and charge God with being unfair or accuse God of injustice. Even though Jesus is truly and completely righteous, the only person about whom that could ever be said, he won't complain about what he suffers. Because that's why he came. He came to take on the accusations of sin. He came to take the accusations of Satan against sinners to himself. And so we'll watch Jesus as he carries his cross all the way to the, uh, the mountain called Golgotha and to give his life on that cross for our sins for all our sins, our sins against God. That puts our suffering in perspective. When you suffer, when the pain doesn't go away, when you can't understand why things are happening the way they are, it's easy for the accusations to come. Satan will whisper those accusations against you, say, You must have done something wrong. You better figure it out. You better fix it. And we'll be tempted to turn that back on God too. But remember the account of Job. Not so much for Job, but for the God who sustained him through it all. We haven't talked about the very first portion of the book of Job, the introduction to this whole account. That's where we hear that all of this happens because the devil has asked permission to make Job suffer and God allowed it. God was always in control. He set certain limits. He didn't allow Satan to take Job's life and he certainly did not let Satan take his faith. In fact, when everything was said and done, God brought blessing into the life of Job, even through this ordeal. And he brings 
blessing into your life and mine as we read and learn about him. So when you are tempted to accuse God, remember how God took on flesh in order to take your accusations on himself. Since the accusations of a world of sinners were placed on him, none of these accusations can be placed on you and stick. He's your Redeemer. And your Redeemer lives. He's with you. He's beside you. He who endured this extreme suffering knows how to take care of you and uphold you while you are suffering. He who tells the sea how far it can go and holds Satan on a chain has the power to use even what we think are the worst things to accomplish the best things in our life. There's no need to despair. There's no need to accuse. We don't even need to understand. We can simply trust that God understands and that God is in control. And we can say, may the name of the Lord be blessed. Amen.